0: Blog Talk Radio.
1: And we apologize for this today. We're having a little bit of a problem with the technical difficulties of being on the radio. And right now we're going to bring on Mr. J. Logan. Mr. Logan, are you there? Yes, I am. I'm wonderful. I'm here in California, where it's uh, kind of gloomy today, but um, I'm I'm in good spirits. So I'm definitely here, and I'm excited about the show today. Well, you know I am too. But you know it's really interesting. For once, over here in New York, just for once, it's kind of a gloomy day here too. So for once, we have the weather matching because I kind of get jealous that it seems like you always have the warmer weather. And I really think that's unfair, okay, Jay? (laughs) (laughs) Well, I think you got a beat today because we're not having warmer weather out here. So uh, maybe I need to come out there where you're at because uh, it's kind of cold. Well, San Francisco still is not as cold as New York yet. It's still, you guys have the best of everything. So, you know, (laughs) let's get on and get on to the news because we've got some good stuff today. So, folks, today, ah, we're so excited. We have back Matthew Forrest of New Metality Ventures from last week. Oh, my God, he was so amazing. We had so much fun with him. We have Gabrielle Carlson as well, and we also have, uh, this afternoon, we have also Chad Norman and Melanie Massa, who are from Blackbaud, an international company that helps nonprofits get uh, find online solutions to raise the awareness of their nonprofit and cause, as well as um, information on tactics for social media. So, Jay, why don't you bring us to the news today? Oh, yeah, well, I was, I was, I was checking around, and uh, you know, those of you out there that own iPads and Android tablets and so have you, uh, the Android uh, tablets have been gaining, I see, on the iPad market. Uh, I think the iPad lost 10% of its market and Android gained 10% of its market in the fourth quarter of last year. So uh, most of these companies making these Androids are gaining on uh, Apple, which is kind of amazing. Um, I, I have both uh, Android and uh, an Apple uh, iPad, and uh, I'm wondering why that's happening, maybe because some of the Android apps are more easier to uh, get and they're free, so maybe that's the reason, but uh, it seems like these companies like Samsung and, and Asus and uh, these other companies that are making Android uh, hardware are making a lot of money. Uh, I think they made like almost $27 million um, last year, which is you know far a cry from half of that the year before. So, um, so basically, um, I, I think Androids are doing pretty good, and they're coming, you know, the Android tablets are coming. And
0: do you have an Android
1: uh, deal? Oh, we might be having some technical problems. Um, yes, we, uh, yes, I'm sorry we did. Uh, I'm very sorry, everyone. For some reason, our uh, Block Talk Radio is giving us a little bit of a uh, up and down today. So, uh, Jay, I couldn't even hear you. I don't know what happened. We just kind of blocked out there. But, you know, we do have our first guest who's ready to come on in and it's Matthew Forrest of New Vitality Ventures. And, you know, I remember last week, Jay, we had so much phone map that you didn't get to ask some of your questions, especially around bullying, okay? So mm-hmm. we're going to start off a little, little bit here, and we're going to bring Matt on in. And I won't, I won't give you a hard time today, Jay. We'll let, you'll go first today. How's that? Okay. <laughs> hey, Matt, how are you? Hello. Good afternoon.
2: Doing pretty well yourself?
1: We're doing well. We're so happy to have you back. Yes.
2: Thank you, Gail. Thank you, Jay, for having me on the show again. Yes, you
1: you you were covering so many things last week that we were just so pulled in to the point that even Gabrielle Carlson, who will be joining us shortly to talk with you, she was also pulled in by what you were sharing, and, you know, I just really want to go back to that area, and I know that Jay had some questions, so let's go, if it's okay with you, Matt, we're ready to go right on into that. Are you ready for us?
2: Sure, sure, I'm ready. I, I look, if you wouldn't mind, I, I wanted to say something real fast for any of the listeners. I, I put together a little a little package that I just want to be able to give people and I I like the book I've written 50 Tools to Success and Personal Power for the High School Student. Um I'm I, I'm selling the book on my website at 50tools and what I'm doing for the next Thousand books that that, are, that that get sold from the website. I'm giving a free 30-minute consultation with a company called wow. College Planning Experts. And I just wanted to let let that out there because it's a $500 value for anybody who jumps into the book and everything that I speak on is in the book. And um, I just wanted to kick it off with that, just to try to add as much value to the families that are listening and the students to you know to be able to uh, capitalize on on a great opportunity.
1: Can you give us a you know, uh take us into a little bit more about the college what this uh, actual offer is so just so we can let our listeners know a little bit more about that if you could take thirty seconds to share that that would be great
2: completely uh college planning experts the owner is a is a friend of mine named Brian Safdari, and what they do is they teach families how to how to access hidden money in the college funding systems uh he doesn't do this typically for the thirty minutes I, when I opened the company a couple of years ago, doing the motivational speaking, the leadership trainings, and going to high schools and speaking on bullying and drug and alcohol awareness, and covering all the topics that I cover, I, I asked him if there's anything he could do to add value with the position that he was in, and his eyes lit up and he said, he said I would love to. He said, how, do, how does this sound if I give a 30-minute consultation to to people who invest in your book and and so he did it for the first for the first two thousand books, and now I, I contacted him again, and we reprinted another thousand books. And for the next thousand that go that we have in print, it's going to continue to come along with the deal. He's seen an influx of a couple hundred people that have capitalized on on the on the um, on the offer so far, so
1: um, and it's really creating a big people- impact. So, and, and, and when you say the impact, that's what we're really, you know, is really interesting. The impact is that more students are finding, are you saying that they can find ways to go back to school or go to college? Well, and, so
2: the, the main thing is, you know, the college funding system is set up in a way that you can access a certain amount of money and you, you're happy because you accessed 10000 or 5000 but Beyond that, there's other ways to, you know, go to college for free. There's fund, within the funding system. There's just like any other any other business. If you know if you know about it, you know how to access hidden monies, and that's what he does. He teaches families how to how to access hidden monies in the college system, and and so he he gives a 30 minute free, uh, very educational um, consultation with any family that gets a copy of the book, and not only do they get an incredible book. For their for their student, um, that that really is very impactful and very direct in its teachings. Um, but they also get this consultation for the family, and um, yeah, it's pretty uh, it's pretty amazing. And just just because I, I was in a position where I knew I I'm in a position as a, as as a speaker and as a, as a coach to uh, to to be able to offer something like this, and he jumped right on board.
1: Well, that's great because I think that a lot of Students today are being told constantly that you have to be really dirt poor to be able to go to college, and that's even for adults. And with something like this, you're really supporting the students and finding ways and empowering them. What the really great thing about it is that it's empowering them to go to school because so many kids want to go to school today. They don't want to tell their friends. They want to go to school because they want to seem cool, and this will actually empower them, which will have those other students empowered as well. So we're gonna get on with the yeah, show man. Uh, I just want to tell you and, uh, in
2: the back of the book in the back of the book how it works is there's a reference code that you use that's in the book. And when you call, you use the reference code and then you get your free 30 minute consultation.
1: Thank you so much. And we'll revisit that at the end of the, the show before we go off to let people know about that again. So without cool. further ado, we want to get a little more into what you were speaking about last week and what is possible you know, with um, some of the things that you've learned yourself and around bullying. So, Jay, would you take it away? Sure. Well, hey, how you doing, Matthew? I just want to say hi to you out there.
2: Doing well, doing and, well. Uh, Thank you, Jay. How about yourself?
1: I'm doing fine. And I have a little story to share with you um, when I was coming up as a kid. Uh, when I was in elementary school, actually I went to PS63 out there, and uh, we had this, oh, guy at my, <laughs> this guy at my school. And what he would do, he would go around and he would take everybody's lunch, uh, beat us up, chase us around, and the whole school was terrified. You know, we were terrified of this guy. And, you know, we were all the same size, so we didn't know what was going on because this, this didn't happen, you know, outside of our house or, you know, with our family. So as we all grew older, um, you know, fifth grade, sixth grade, this guy would just one, one, uh, one year... He told everybody um, he had a speech impairment problem. So he told everybody yep. at the uh, lunch auditorium, he said, if you guys laugh at me, I'm going to beat everybody up in the school. And, you know, everybody in the school, it was like 100 or 200 kids, we were all scared of this one guy, so we didn't want to get beat up. And so we were just terrified. <laughs> so as we, got, as, as we got older, we finally got into, you know, the upper grade, seventh, eighth, and ninth grade. Well, this guy, he didn't grow. Everybody else started getting taller and taller and taller. But the bully stayed the same size. So as we grew older and older in high school, the guy had a a serious problem. Um, He wouldn't talk to anybody anymore, and everything kind of turned the other way. And I was wondering, I mean, he had psychological problems, and now the bully was the shortest bully in the whole community. And uh, he didn't do well in school. And I was wondering, have you ever encountered something like that where the bully kind of – kind of lose, loses the bullies, you know? I was
2: wondering, have you ever experienced anything? Like, it was really funny that that happened. Yeah, they, no, no, I, I, I think that's, um, I think that's actually very, very typical. Um, I think if it happens, whether it happens in a way that, that, that the bully turns, um, yeah, he, that the bully, you know, in, in this case, the bully actually, everybody else got bigger and he kind of stayed the same size physically Um in a lot of other cases, it's um, emotionally. Emotionally, that's what happens, and people move on emotionally, and the bully stays the same size emotionally, and everybody else gets bigger and, and, and grows and gets mature and and things of that nature. It's um, and, and not only that, but as the bully reacts and, you know, picks on other people and puts other people down, it's, um, <clears throat> there's, um, uh, I, I I lost my train of thought for a second, but um, but.
1: Well, should we, you know, so we just, Matthew? Matthew, should we embrace the bully after? Okay, you know, I'm wondering, should you go back and uh, be this guy's friend and try to work with him, or what? What would what, what you do after that? Uh, he used to beat
2: you yeah, up, well, you this, go this back. I, and, was, this was, this was, yeah, sure. I I think definitely. I mean, this is this is what I was going to say is, typically the bully turns if. if if he's acting out acting out acting out trying to avoid himself by 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 pushing other people around and bullying other people at some point very often that turns that turns in that that's just a reflection of how he feels about himself to begin with so to begin with he's not feeling good about himself he feels very threatened by the, by the general population of people or whoever it is he's bullying for one reason or another, so he acts in a way that makes it seem like. He's not scared, or that he's not threatened by putting other people down. So, when the time comes where the tides change, he's still the same person who's who's still threatened by by the presence of others. So, whether it's through physical size or just from being emotionally or just being very insecure, very fear-based, then it's it's still the same situation. So, at that point, I think the most powerful thing to do, and the most courageous, and I think the you know the thing to do that you know. To really stand, stand and be the difference. To be the difference would be to yeah, like you said, to really embrace him, and and because uh, sometimes the only way to teach somebody is by is by showing them, and there's nothing more well, powerful than embracing embracing somebody who who.
1: Well, that's very interesting. Well, well, I, I, I got to add one thing to it, Gail. The guy uh, that was the bully. Um, ha- and I, have, I hate to say this He became suicidal and he ended up Later in life he took his own life So maybe wow. You know I, Maybe everybody should have not picked on him after that Because he, be- he just reversed So that's what that's the ending of that story So maybe you should embrace these people Because they're looking for help They're looking for a handout And they're looking for help and, um, and friends And uh, I wish I would have um, Engaged them And you've been very enlightening and, and, and sharing this with me, I wish I would, would have now, you know, because uh, he's no longer with us. So, Okay, Dad, yeah, I, mean, uh, I do share story. One of the things I wanted to share about that is also is that, um, you know, along with the bullying that side of it, also the other side, some people who are bullies as children grow into bullies in life, okay? Uh, some of those are bullies in wars. Some of those are bullies um, in different parts of the world. I'm about to bring on Gabrielle Carlson, who was struck, Matthew, by some of the things that you shared last week. And it's going to be great to have a dialogue with everyone. Um, Gabrielle, as I bring her on, hails from South Africa. and She came up during a time, an important time, of apartheid. And she, as a child, got to see, her, through her eyes, we were able to see last week what it was like to be in South Africa. And then through her eyes now, she's a wonderful, wonderful designer. Who designs clothing? Ironically, for all sizes and all people. So she has an outlook that's quite important and 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 very interesting that she brings to this country. That she brings as an experience. So if we could all just welcome Gabrielle Carlson. Gabrielle. How are you?
0: I am. I am still with what Matthew left us with, and. Um I'm trying to move on to where you are right now, which is what I've got to say. And um, you guys cover a great deal in depth in terms of what has an impact. Talk about what makes a difference. So, I am alive and well, and I'm in my studio, and I'm wishing you were all here with me that as we were talking we could be dressing.
1: (laughs) My
0: very favorite thing to be up to is playing with people in such a way that in putting on new pieces, pieces in which they hadn't, not so much putting on new pieces, but in seeing themselves in a whole different light, putting on pieces that either fit their one size or the many sizes they may be, they get to take a longer look and experience themselves with great pleasure. Uh, moving about in stuff that don't bite, in stuff that's comfortable, in stuff that without wearing them, they get to be excited by what's coming at them in terms of what they see in the
1: mirror looking back. Well, you know, that's very important, Gabrielle, because, you know, based on what Matthew and Jay were just talking about, I remember you talked about last week when you were speaking about a te- uh, some teenagers you had, you know, helped to dress, Okay. And how happy they were in the clothing they had. But if you could speak a little bit, if you could just go back with us a little bit, Gabrielle, to where we saw that for a moment where it really touched you about what Matthew had said around bullying and growing up in South Africa and being a young child yourself and then coming over here and seeing the young people today, bringing us up to today where Matthew is and and we are. Can you give us a little, you know, insight because we had to cut you short when you started to go into how Matthew's area of bullying was actually affected you then at that time.
0: Well, I think what really came up for me in listening to Matthew's recounting um working with both bullies and the bullied people in their teens is that if you figure that that's when folks are so very vulnerable, completely uncertain as to who they are in terms of being able to draw upon their strengths, which are still coming to be, Um, from my own recollections, being a person of that age. um, I was attending a public school, a mixed school, and by that I mean some of the folks at the school came from parents who were um, white South Africans who didn't really see or care to know much of what was wrong with what was happening, or the suffering that most people were living under. Anyone who was not white was certainly experiencing. And so those people, those parents, really hated my own. And for kids who didn't know better and were like their folks, I have to say that going to school was hell. Because the question of was, you know, be ready to defend yourself at any moment. And the sense of being different... um, As Matthew spoke, all of that experience came up for me. But what really I took away with me was leaving there and coming here where, you know, yes, I spoke English and most of the folk in Long Island where we moved to spoke English, but I will tell you it wasn't the same English. And I will tell you that my body didn't fit what everyone else was wearing and that sense of being not accepted, primarily starting with oneself and then moving out. And there are so many things to say. I I need you to ask me a question that will take me more into the heart of the stigma of not feeling like everybody else for whatever the reason. There is something that is marked as a teenager. We feel that to an excruciating degree.
1: Well, you know, this is a question I have for both you and Matthew and bringing dialogue to this. You know, you stated that you were in Long Island, and Matthew is also from Long Island. And um, one of the things I know is that when we're kids and we don't feel good about ourselves, we either become bullies sometimes and take it out on other people, as Matthew shared last week, about looking at yourself in the mirror and looking to the side of yourself and, you know, well, there's a kid to pick on because I don't like myself right now. You know, when you came to... Uh, this country, and you had to be with other kids, did you experience being picked on uh, as, a, as, as you shared with us as being a South a- person from South Africa? And Matthew, the well, question you, actually, oh. Sorry, I think I cut you off. Oh, no, i was going to ask Matthew to dialogue a little bit with you. Like, Matthew, for her experience and what kids are feeling now, these days, has it changed much? If you could have that dialogue with Gabrielle, that would be great. Sure.
2: Sure. Um yeah, no, I, th- I think it's I think it's huge what you're saying about uh the you know the whole stigma of not fitting in, not being part of. I think you
0: know, especially, especially at, at that be- age where all you want is to be in with the in kids.
1: Sure. And not and that, only is now, that
0: never going to happen as far as you can see, but you don't know if you're in anywhere. And there's nothing more vulnerable than being markedly disliked second only to being physically bullied or verbally bullied um, if you're a teenager at a time where being accepted is so key and you can't really turn to your folks because much as they love you they're not on the front lines and they can't imagine what's going through your mind and if anything that makes it even more difficult because the more they love you you're sort of like well that's great but what does it count when I'm at school with everybody who is my world.
2: Yeah, and I, I can I can not, not only do a hear you saying, but I can completely relate as I was I felt the exact same way in high school. And if you if you we were looking from the
0: outside, to say long island is a dangerous place for one to grow up. they are just not going to go there. <laughs> much is attempting to hit
2: that. I was gonna, I was going to say that's what I was going to say earlier. Is I was going to say especially on Long Island. That I I find that schools on Long Island are so. So caught up in 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 the in crowd and and what is cool and what is and if you're not that then you're then you're just well, uncool. The
0: thing of, the of being transplanted to the city is that the moment you step out of your house, you're in a world that's so much larger than your head where you just left, where you're possibly going to. It's so happening, and in New York City, that's liable to be happening on some level in some way, twenty four seven. So the world is always bigger than the one you live in, starting with your head. But in I long island, an there's not whole lot going on, so what you're living in is probably something that goes everywhere with you, and you've got to go a long stretch to get beyond.
2: Hmm. I agree, and I think that goes along with what the what, what the solution that I, I find that I pass I pass on to teenagers now is that they're never alone. If, if they have if they have their blueprint with them. If they have the foundation with them, this is why I teach this. Even when I speak on bullying, I get th- I teach this same information because it's so powerful, it's so pertinent, and and it is the solution for overcoming any obstacle is being clear about every, all the information in the book and everything I speak on about having a blueprint, which is basically your life, just like a blueprint for a house. The, you know, what a blueprint for a house is is a finished picture of what it looks like, and to maintain that focus and say, no, that's where I'm going. And if this is in my way, it doesn't matter because I'm still going there. And then to create a foundation, which is basically what you believe in, what you stand for, and what makes you feel good about yourself on a self-esteem, self-image, self-worth level. And to not allow those principles to be compromised no matter what goes on. And it's so easy to get and pulled And let's up add one the-
0: thing to that. If you've got all of that in place, let's go for just one more piece, which is if, at the moment when you're being struck down any which way that's coming at you, if you can take the fall, shake out, and stand right up again, dust yourself off, and reach for those somewhere close or know that they're not too far and get to them,
1: sure.
0: that's and a very is, powerful and this, and thing to have too.
2: And then because because, this is the third, because and it's having
0: those which makes you what you need to get out there, but recovering them and stepping into them again
2: when they get knocked away from you sure yeah i think i definitely agree there's actually a four step there's a four-step process to any time i give a presentation in any school it doesn't matter if it's leadership drug and alcohol awareness bullying which which i've been speaking a lot on it's it's the same there's different there's different things i say different ways i go about the introduction and the closing and and a little bit of the meat of the presentation but I always deliver my four-step process. My four-step process. All is right. My four-step process is to draw a blueprint for your life about where you're going. Second step is to draw a found to to solidify your foundation for your life or what you stand for. The third step is to. Can you can you guys hear that? It sounds like there's some rattling going on. Yep. I, yep,
1: I can hear. I can hear you real good. Here you
2: go, and then the third step of the process is windows of perspective, which lead to doors of opportunity. So as and I tell a story, I tell a story a lot of times. I have a couple of different stories I tell on on perspective, but they really they really get the point across. And, and I'm not going to get into the stories I tell because they're they're about five minutes each. But um, it's basically they're basically stories that that emphasize the difference of two of the exact same people. And the only thing that's different about them is that what their perspective is and how they see the, a certain situation that they're in. And so I go into that, and you see a lot of eyes lighten up, and I go into that your perspective is one of the only things that nobody can take away from you. Yes. Somebody yes. can cut you off on the road. Somebody can call you a name. Somebody can put you down. Somebody can knock your books out of your hand, but your perspective can never be taken away. So always find the positive. Always find the hope. And then always look for... And then this goes right into the fourth step, which is role models and decision making. And then and what I use is I use something called a real-life role model, which is basically students might think Michael, that Michael Jordan might be their role model, which is great. But the, can, can they pick up the phone and call Michael Jordan when they're going through a struggle? Uh, most likely no. So I'm going to look at something is that is Matthew is saying,
0: if you don't mind, Matt, too. Yes. It seems to me that the opportunity you afford in the counseling you do in your four-step program is that if I had to boil it down to a, what I reach for when I'm heading out the door and I'm a teenager and I may or may not be walking into a world that loves and supports me that day, is that if I can be what's got my back, if I can be what takes me through whatever it is that's going to come at me, and if I get knocked down, if I can be the wherewithal that gets me up and standing, if I can be what's got me covered, what I can pull that from,
2: complete. I'm good to go. That, and then one more thing, though, is that the use that of That does a not
0: come naturally, and it's not a default, and that even as a teenager, yeah. it's on you to pull that out of yourself, hold on to it tight, and wear it more closely, shining every day, because for sure it gets dull in usage.
1: Sure,
2: completely, And and but the fourth step of the process kind of wraps all together with the role models, and basically the concept is to use your role model's knowledge as a reference, so I'm going through this, I got bullied, then you pick up the phone, and you call one, the, one of those role models, and you say, what would you do in this situation, and then you get that insight through the people that you look up to, and, and I've, I've had a lot of feedback where that's really served people because... A lot of teenagers just don't think to reach out. They don't think to get honest with somebody that they look up to. It's just not something that we think naturally as a teenager. We think we're teenagers and we have to handle this on our own. But the reality is every time you speak about a complication it cuts it in half. And uh and it makes it makes things Man, not easy, thing in your head. but, mani- yes. but manageable.
1: Okay. You know, something that you said, Matthew, I want to go back to, Um, picking up the phone and being able to call someone that you know in your life and that you trust. One of the things you talked about last week is we don't think to call our parents when we're, you know, when we're being bullied by someone or things are happening in school or if we do call our parents, you know, the bully gets us later for calling our parents. And Mm -hmm. the one thing I've seen, um, even with my nieces who are straight-A students and, uh, they take martial arts and all kinds of things, soccer and the whole bit. They often tell us that they, they go to their parents. We've raised them to go to their parents and anything is going on, and they have a really open dialogue. But what do you do right. in a case where a child wants to talk to their parent and their parent is just too busy, they're working, they have this, they have that, and so that child grows up thinking, I have to handle it on my own, even though they have accessible adults to them. What? Is your
2: advice in cases like that? Well, that, that's that's definitely part of the process, and definitely part of um, why I why I started my coaching program is for one for them to have an opportunity to pick up the phone and call me. Um, for two, is to inspire them to look up to find people that that if their parents aren't available or if the parents aren't really aren't emotionally available. I mean. I, I was I was in a situation. Now i you know, growing up. I had good parents, but I just I didn't feel comfortable speaking about the things like you said that there was like that open dialogue. I have great parents, very loving, caring parents. I love them very much. But in my in my experience, there wasn't that open format where I could speak and get you know and get that get that connection that I needed. Sometimes it's um, it's a school a school therapist. Sometimes it's a Sometimes it's it's a book. Sometimes it can it can easily be a book on 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 leadership, a book on yeah. You know, actually, in the back of my book, I have a list of uh, I have a list list of suggested readings. They're all great empowerment books, and and um and and that's what and that's where you, that's where it comes up to them. Get creative, be creative, I and mean, be clear about who they look up to and what, the, or at least what the people that they look up to do with their lives or something of that nature. And then from there. They can start to start to see them. You know, you get what you look for. You open the refrigerator, you look for ketchup. You're going to find ketchup.
0: Back up for a moment, because here's the thing: it's one thing for us as adults to talk about all of the resources that are both available and that we need to create, or that we need to support teenagers create for themselves. Where you go when it all caves. For me, the most potent part of what you're offering is that you instill in folks as early as they can possibly get their hands wrapped around it. It's got to start and stop with you. You've got to be able to support yourself on the firing line when there is no one to call or you don't have the wisdom to create additional resources for yourself. Hopefully that comes. But in the case of kids for whom there may not be additional resources, And it doesn't have to be an impoverished situation. It can be any situation where, for whatever the reason, who you would reach out to, you know they love you, say it's your parents, but they're living in a different stratum or a different, what they're facing and what they're up against is so broadly different from where you are and what you're walking into every day that even though you know you've got that love and support, it's not going to be the shield between you and whatever's coming at you. So you've mm-hmm. got to find a way to draw on what you got and either create them as supportive if they're not or somehow come up with some kind of backup for yourself that is essentially self-generated. Because at the mm-hmm. end of the day, what you've got to find out as a teenager and you're not equipped with the wisdom that we have so many years later having survived so many full final assaults is, hey, it ain't going to kill you.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Now you can let it, but you can't let it. And if we can somehow draw forth or instill in kids at an early age that, hey, the first chance you've got to communicate, don't blow it. Because God knows you can build on that and it may well diffuse the impact of what you're looking at. It also draws you closer to whomever you're sharing with if it's a real share. Because sometimes it's not the specifics, it's just the reaching out and we're all humans. We respond to that when it's coming from the heart. But in so many cases where that's not available, all you've got is you. And somehow in that mix of you, there's got to be enough that's going to allow you to not be vanquished on a negative, and be left stronger on a positive. And all of this sounds kind of like, what's the word I want? Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, it's like, uh, don't we wish it was so? But by the same token, mm-hmm. it needs to be.
2: Yeah, and, and and that's why, that's you know, when I, when I had this calling couple of years ago to really get up and create something where I can really come to schools and sh- share my message. My, my original understanding of it was that I have a story and my story is of a struggle and my story is that I got through. And my story is that I use my struggles and my suffering and being suicidal at 21 years old to now give back and that being the crux of of all, of basically being one of the role models as these kids come in and if they haven't seen anybody that they can relate to at that point or haven't heard somebody share from the heart where they can then gain the courage to do so as well, they have me. And they have me as a clear, powerful reference to say, you know, he took his struggles and turned it around. And then from there, I mean, in my case, that was the hope I needed. The hope I needed was hearing one person's message. And it changed my life, and it gave me, like you said, that that ability to go inside and to find, to muster up that that courage and that strength to to yeah. see my way through difficult situations in in the teen years.
1: And, and I and, and, I, I, and one of my quotes
2: is one of my quotes. Real quick, so let me just share
1: this. Folks, I, I'm sorry, we have to. Um, I I know we could go on with this topic because I can see that it's so touching both of your hearts. But our next steps are on, and we just wanted to thank you and Danielle. And what we would like to do is probably get your thoughts on all of this. And we will put it up on the Listen Give website for other people to have the feedback of your thoughts and the feelings that you offer, because both of you are so passionate, and we're just loving this. And um, we want to let you know also that some students last week, uh, listen to your broadcast between both of you separately and we're very inspired by both of you and I'm sure they're listening today and they're going to be equally inspired by the passion in both of your voices. So you both for being on and um, we will share with people can find, you know, get in contact with you at the end of the show and again, thank you both for being on again this week. This was a lot more powerful and a lot more just shocking the dialogue. This is amazing having two amazingly powerful people such as yourselves on the show today. Thank you so much. Thank you, Gail. Thank you, Matthew. Thank you, and thank I you, thank the other
0: producer whose name I, I have slipped in for the moment.
2: Jay.
1: Jay, is there yeah. Thanks, Matthew. Mr. Logan. Yes, yes,
2: yes, yes, Mr. Matthew. Thank you so much <laughs> for having us on the show, Gail and Jay. And uh, Danielle, it was great speaking with you, and you. And, uh, and again, stay tuned to dot and because I'm actually going to be opening up teen, teen seminars here in here on Long Island, where we do annual teen seminars, okay. empowerment seminars. Oh
1: okay, yeah, will let everyone know about that. Thank you so much, and have a good day.
2: Fantastic. Thank have you.
1: Well, now wow. we get to have a, a, we get to bring on our other guests. I'm excited, equally excited about that. If, if I mean the guests today are amazing. I really didn't expect all of that dialogue. That was that was passion. I <laughs> that was a, a lot of passion. So without further ado, we're going to bring on Chad Norman and Marilyn Mathos. They are two amazing people that understand what it takes for a nonprofit organization, such as what Matthew and Gabrielle were talking about. Whether it's youth. Empowerment, youth education, music nonprofits who are bringing music to youth or even, you know, to musicians at large, whatever the nonprofit is, these two people understand what it takes to get your cause out there and to really engage with people, not speak at them, but have regular conversations and relationships, you know, with people. And they have a new book out called 101 Social Media Tactics and they're going to share with us. They also work for a company called Blackbaud, and Blackbaud is a non-profit solution. I, I can't say enough about them. They're an amazing, amazing company. And so we're going to bring them on now. All right, Joe, are you ready for them? I, I'm ready for them. Let's go. Good afternoon, Chad Norman and Melanie Mavos. How are you?
3: Hi there. We're doing great. Thanks for having us on the show.
4: Hey, we're super excited to chat. Yeah, we're just
1: as super excited as you are to have you guys on. You know, um, Melody and Chad, I, I, if you don't mind, I'd just like to go right into everything. Um, my my co-host here and myself, uh, Jay Logan, we were looking over things a couple of weeks ago, and we have something called, you know, 2002 uh, Super Bowl for Education. And we we're saying, you know, you're looking on the web, you see the same old stuff. And then we came across you guys, all right? And, like, this book is amazing. Not only does it share with us, you know, the know-how, but you give case studies. You, you break it down so, if, you know, even though Jay and I are in technology, you break it down in a way that the layman person, the layman nonprofit profit organization that may only have two or three people can really make a difference with your organization. Can you tell us some things about how you got involved with putting a book together like this, you know, what made you put a book together like this, and why you have such a love for it?
3: Oh, thanks, Gail. Um, one of the reasons that we looked at bringing a, a book together with this sort of level of content uh, is because we um, both actually uh, work with nonprofits. Um, I started a small nonprofit called Go Green Charleston. Um, we're both on the board of directors for a very small all-volunteer nonprofit called Fields to Families. And we really saw a need um, through that our work there and working with other people um, that there are a lot of small nonprofits that really need help getting going with social media. It's become clear that this channel is a Easy and effective way to uh, motivate and engage your supporters, and a lot of people were just struggling with getting started. They were so wrapped up in their other day-to-day activities, with especially in marketing, with email and direct mail and things like that, um, that they needed sort of a simple way to um, get get the tactics and get the ideas into their practice. Um, So we sort of took a, a simple approach and kind of wanted to give people just the ideas and look at case studies and make it so it was a very simple and approachable way to get started.
4: Yeah, and the case studies really inspired us. Uh, We work with nonprofits every day and uh, through our work at BlackBot and then also, as Chad mentioned, as volunteers. And there are some people doing amazing things, um, whether they're small organizations uh, that have volunteers running their social media programs all the way up to large organizations that are fully staffed. The innovation that's happening right now in the nonprofit sector is truly amazing and inspiring. And so it actually made for a very fun subject for us to kind of get to know a lot of the people behind these great campaigns and to share them with other nonprofits.
1: You know, one of the questions I have, uh, Chad and Melanie, for you, and I think Mr. Logan does too what if you come across, you know, you're a nonprofit organization and you, and, you know, all of the people out there, you know, especially with the current economic uh, crisis, it's almost like the economy is on menopause because one minute it's doing well and the next minute it's not, just globally. And you have so many people out there who are, you know, looking at all the nonprofits saying, oh, everyone wants money or even you're the nonprofit yourself and you're saying, well, how am I going to compete with all these other nonprofits out there asking people for dollars? How do you, you know, how does that nonprofit say, Why get started? How do I get started online? Is it going to do anything for me? People are going to just think I want money. What do you say to a nonprofit like that?
4: Well, online fundraising um, specifically is a growing channel. It has been growing for years, um, but it still only accounts for about 8% of overall fundraising. So to put all your eggs in that basket, per se, isn't the best way to approach it. Um, But online at the same time is still a critical channel that nonprofits can't ignore, uh, it also just is a great way to engage with your constituents um, for organizations that have a small budget. Um, it's a great way to get them involved in your cause, which is first and foremost before any fundraising happens. It's the courtship uh, that needs to happen before that. So I think uh, a lot of nonprofits, especially in these. Um, you know, during the economic downturn, turn to social media as a way to communicate and listen and engage with their supporters and keep them involved because donor retention is so important during these times, especially, as you said, with how competitive the market is.
3: And because of the way Twitter and Facebook work, oftentimes nowadays the first impression that people get of a nonprofit is through one of their friends on one of these social networks, and so having these easily accessible free tools to get involved and to begin that engagement. We sort of talk about that fundraising pyramid and that big bottom part at the, bo- at the bottom is sort of bringing people on board. And social media is great for that. So it's sort of like that first step, that first impression of the relationship that can hopefully then lead to better things, including fundraising.
1: Yeah, and that's, that's why I brought that question up, Melanie and Chad, because I, what I thought was so great about the book and looking at the book was that you guys bring them through the whole process. You don't just leave them there to say, "Here is how you fundraise." you actually teach them how to engage with people, literally almost like having a relationship with people. Can you talk a little bit more about that when you talked about Chad and Melanie bringing you know bringing people on board, sort of getting people to be your evangelists. Can you speak more to that a little bit? Well, I think really
4: empowering people to share their stories is what um, the engagement layer is all about. Uh, there's a lot of brands kind of fault to the point of just broadcasting messages, and um, social media really helps you know the community have a voice and really speak up on behalf of your organization, which is worth so much more than any employee could ever bring uh, to a cause. Having a brand advocate, like you said, um, someone that's passionate, like your previous guests, that have real-life experiences, it's going to mean so much more and just have a, a more profound effect on potential supporters.
3: Yeah, and, and when you are passionate, you're, you're often uh, willing to sort of share that cause uh, with your community, with your groups of friends. And we have a lot of tactics in the book talking about um, how to do photo contests and to have – to get people to share video, and, and this kind of user-generated content has really been one of the, the major pillars of social media in, in a way that you know, is, is very radically different from the way marketing was done in the past. Um, hearing, hearing a story from someone that's involved, whether that's a volunteer or a recipient or a, a board member, is, is so much more powerful than hearing that, that voice and that story from a staff member, and social media enables that to, to a huge degree. Um, and uh, that that kind of content goes a long way, like I said, when you're, again, seeing that out on Twitter, seeing it out on Facebook, and you're like, oh, wow, there's a story, there's an organization that I can really get behind, and uh, that seems to be what's really making a difference.
4: And it really adds to the authentic uh, message. Uh, like I said, if it's a marketing person speaking, you might not relate to them as well as someone who's actually been through it.
1: So what I love is um, the passion that both of you have for what you do. Can you tell us, um, you know, to, to choose nonprofit organizations, can you tell us what you both are so passionate about in working with nonprofit organizations and what some of the nonprofit organizations that you work with, can you give us an idea of one or two that stood out individually for both of you and collectively?
3: Well, one of the things that I, uh, you know, I've always been passionate about is just, it's just community. And, you know, it has been that way through my whole life, you know, whether it was, uh, you know, growing up and the expo- exposure my parents gave me to nonprofits to be, you know, becoming an Eagle Scout to um, my job at BlackBot. It's just, you know, doing good, as we say, uh, has become a part of life. And so naturally, I, you know, we gravitate towards stories that are amazing. And one of the things I really like about uh, uh, one of the museums in my hometown, it's the Indianapolis Art Museum, um, it's an example we use in the book, and where they, uh, they encourage their supporters to um, share photos um, on Flickr, right? And what they do is they have their, their, people, uh, their supporters upload photos of their gardens. They have these beautiful gardens outside the museum, and, what they, and when you upload a photo on Flickr, you can geotag it. And so what that did is it created this dynamic, interactive uh, geotagged map on Flickr that you could go visit and actually um, you see the museum from the perspective of supporters' eyes. And um, just kind of seeing the way that they promote that, and the way that that brings people into the museum, um, it just—I I love stories like that where um, you know people can find this technology and really take their cause to, to the next level. Um, and, and like I said, there's so many stories, like you said, in the book of uh, all the different um, kinds of activities you can do. Like I love the uh, one uh, laptop or child program, um, yes, where they're uh, yeah, yeah, it's a great program, and they use uh, video to to actually thank their supporters um uh, and that's you talk about passion like not only do, can you tell that they 're passionate about it, but seeing like a child that 's gotten their first laptop, their first glimpse of technology, their first step to freedom and to like maybe that next step in their lives is uh is really moving and you know content like that can it just really blows me away and i and it 's something that keeps me coming back to the nonprofit sector
1: Yeah, and thanks oh, Melanie, I just wanted to tell Chad, um you know when you shared about that museum piece, it makes me want to go online right now and go look at that whole thing. you know, just hearing the passion in your voice it it's really what drives things, and it's so great to hear you have such that connection that you and Melanie it takes you guys to the next level. So what about you, Melanie?
4: Well, there are like you said, a ton of inspiring stories in the in the book that we featured, and um uh, Probably the the two organizations that stood out the most is doing everything right in social media. Um, They're very commonly looked to for uh, good examples and case studies are the National Wildlife Federation and the Humane Society. Uh, Both Danielle Brigida and Carrie Lewis do amazing work at those organizations and for any up and coming nonprofits that are getting into social media, they're great great mentors to kind of follow. but one of the tactics in particular that stood out to me is adding tips on Foursquare. Uh, So the National Wildlife Federation actually has tips all over the country. So when people check in on Foursquare, when they're at a park or in a uh, nature area, they get tips about maybe what animals to look out for or um, things happening in the area. Um, So I think that's really neat because, It's just this existing infrastructure that they are bringing people closer to nature through technology. That was one that really inspired
3: me. I was going to say, they also do a great job with that hashtag on Twitter. They use the NWF hashtag. And anytime somebody spots nature out in the wild, whether it's like a, a moose out in the Pacific Northwest or a, you know, marlin out off of the coast of Florida, they encourage people to tweet that and tag it with NWF. And that creates a real, real-time feed of uh, what people are seeing uh, wildlife across the country and across the world. And that's just a great way to, uh, you know, share that passion and share everybody's experience with their supporters. And they, they bring that feed directly on their, to their website. And it's uh, just a great use of, again, like Melanie said, an existing infrastructure to sort of get this passionate content onto their website. It's really cool.
4: And it's interesting. It's kind of ironic, marrying technology and nature, and I think they do such a great job with it. Uh, Another thing they're going to be doing is doing geocaching with uh, school children, so encouraging them to get out there and go on these outdoor nature treasure hunts. And it's just so fun to be able to have these tools and experiences all through social media.
1: You know, I have a question for you, Melanie. One of the things I would love to know is it, it, when you talked about nature and you pick that one particular one, do you love animals?
4: I do. <laughs> I, I do. Have, is, nice.
1: is, is there any nonprofit organization that you worked with that was close to your heart that was around animals?
4: Well, my my passion is really around food, um, both eating it and supporting, uh, alleviating <laughs> hunger. <laughs> I love animals, don't get me wrong, and my dog loves food as well. Uh, But (laughs) the Family is is an organization that Chad and I both are on the board of directors for and have been for several years, and we work with local farmers in the Charleston area uh, to gather unused produce uh, or excess produce to deliver to nonprofit organizations. We have such a bounty down here in Charleston, especially, of fresh produce and we distribute it for free to them so they can feed families in need. So that's really my passion, even though I do love animals and the environment. And it's it's just hard because we work with 26,000 customers around the world at BlackBot and they're awesome. They're all awesome. So it's really hard to pick and choose. But from a personal level, that's the organization that I've dedicated my heart and mind to for the past few years.
1: Well, Melanie, I have to be honest with you. If I was also down in, in Charleston, North, in Charleston, I would be very particularly close to the food as well because
3: I love food.
4: (laughs) Yes, and we've kind of become quite the destination lately with all these uh, awards. So come on down. (laughs) If you're a foodie, this is the place for you.
1: (laughs) I I know. I'm originally from North Carolina, so I know about the food, and that's why sometimes it's not good to go down there too much because you might find yourself gaining a little bit of weight. (laughs) (laughs) And, Je- and Jay, and do you have any questions for our team? Yeah. Yes, uh I'm glad to have you guys on the show and I have one technical question. I was I was noticing you guys said uh, uh you talked about making you get get yourself a good avatar. So I was wondering, could you give us some of the applications that you would use as avatar and what is Avatar would this Avatar uh get into some of the virtual communities out there as far as uh non profits stuff that you guys are doing?
3: Right. So uh, at the beginning of the book, like uh, Gail mentioned earlier, we do sort of walk people through the entire process from setting up to communicate to engage to fundraising and then measuring. So setting up and getting your brand represented digitally is, is very important. As I mentioned earlier in the call or in the show, the, um, the first impression is often now we're on social media. So making sure your branding elements are in line, whether that be your, your banners on your website, all the way to your avatars on Facebook and Twitter, to so the way you put your, the types of photos you put on Flickr. So with Avatar specifically, um, I think there's a, there's a lot of ways to represent your brand well. Um, you definitely want to have your logo and your colors in there. Um, it just needs to be clean and high resolution. Um, you'd be amazed at some of the nonprofits you look at where it looks like they just, I mean, big nonprofits, national ones, where they've just taken their like, logo off their website and uploaded it to, to Twitter. And you really need to take the time to make sure it, like, looks right and, you know, don't have, uh, you know, someone just do it casually around the office. Have whoever does your digital marketing do it for you and make it look right. And if, you know, you're doing it yourself, just make sure you have a good graphic uh, image editor program like Photoshop or a, a free tool like GIMP or something like that, and you should be able to, like, you know, really create a nice-looking avatar. And then we talked about, also about a tactic um, about this is kind of meta, but adding an avatar to your avatar, right? So it's a tool <laughs> called Twibbins, and, Uh, You've seen uh, groups like uh, Livestrong do it where someone has an avatar on Twitter, and you can go to uh, this website, twibbons.com, and actually put the Livestrong bracelet onto the top of your own avatar to sort of show your um, commitment to the organization. Or if you're into uh, Susan Komen, you can get a pink ribbon put onto your avatar. So um, these are just great ways to incorporate uh, branding elements um, both into your own digital avatar and into those of your supporters.
1: But um, Melanie, Melanie and um, and Chad, we want to really thank you for coming on with us today. And I, I just don't know where the time goes because we've already been on um, for a while. And um, I just want to ask you if you would share with people where they can find the information about you and and how to reach you and, you know, when your new book is coming out.
4: Sure. So we're definitely all over the social web. We're at twitter.com slash 101smt and facebook.com slash 101smt. And then our website is also 101smt.com. So people can go there um, to hear about upcoming speaking engagements, uh, read part of the book, access the link to amazon.com where um, they can most readily order the book, and uh, read blog posts and updates on our website as well. So. We'd welcome feedback, and uh, we'd love to hear
3: from everybody. Yeah, definitely. If, uh, for anybody out there listening, please share your stories with us. Uh, we uh, you know, we uh, may be writing another 101 Tactics before you know it, and so we're always looking for uh, inspiring stories from the nonprofit community.
1: Okay, and, and Jay, we have uh, 29 seconds left. Do you want to say anything to Melanie and, uh, and Chad? Well, I've, I've asked my question. Thank you so much, Melody and Chad. We hope to have you back soon.
3: Oh, we'd love to. Thanks, Gail. Thanks, Jay.
4: Thanks so much. All right, and have a wonderful day. Thank you.
1: Thank you. First of all.